Palm Sunday, and you will receive a reminder of that on your way out the door. But this is an important day for Jesus because He's making His way to what He knows is the cross. Nobody else knows it's the cross, but Jesus knows He's on His way to the cross, and He has to go to Jerusalem, and He has to make, make His way into the city because the city is the center of the religious life of Israel, and this is where Jesus needs to be in order to speak His deepest truth to His people. So we're going to read the story today. It's Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Uh, that is um, a great day in many respects uh, because of the people and their lust for Jesus' message and Jesus' power. And yet there's also sort of this kind of a dark side of the story uh, that we will also um, identify and look at. So let's read from Luke chapter 19. Um, it's cut off over there, so I'll read it over here. So, uh, Luke chapter 19, beginning at the 29th verse. When Jesus had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. And then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. And as he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. And as he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will crush you to the ground, and you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace, O Lord, and through your mercy, we pray that somehow... Maybe for some of us, this is a story we've heard a hundred times, and somehow for us, we pray that you will allow the story to speak to us as if for the first time. And maybe for some of us, this is the first time we've heard the story, and we pray that you will help us to wonder at what it might be saying to us in this very moment of our lives, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So there are people in your life that you want for a relationship, and there are people in your life that you want for results. There are people in your life that you want for a relationship, and there are people in your life that you want for results. A while ago, I had the chance to go to Chicago and to meet up with a friend of mine, my best friend actually, at a, during a conference where we were going to be at, and we were 
had a little bit of time before the conference was going to start, so we decided we are going to grab those few hours of that night before to catch up. We were both to arrive at Chicago around the same time. And on the way to Chicago, I, of course, had to drive to the airport, drop off my car, get on a plane, rent a car once I was in Chicago, and then make my way to where we were going to meet. Now, when you travel, you are, of course, at the mercy of many, many, many people to execute efficiently and effectively their travel-related services. Now, getting to the airport and dropping off my car went fine, but once I got to the airport, things began to go south. I was going north, but things were going south. There was a line at the ID checkpoint that moved very, very slowly. There was a line at the security gate that moved very, very slowly. And that's all fine and good, as long as you can make it to the gate on time, which I did. But when I got to the gate, I discovered that my plane was going to be delayed. Now, when you're standing, or when I'm standing, in a very slow line, waiting amidst unexpected delays, it's interesting how I relate to people who are trying to provide a service to me. I relate to them in respect to results. I am critical of them if those results seem less than adequate. I can be even less than polite if they are not performing for, the, for me the way I want them to. I really don't care to have a relationship with them. I want only from them results. That's thus when I was standing at the rental counter having arrived an hour and a half late into Chicago and the customer service representative is having trouble getting her computer to work. It is not the first thought that comes to my mind to ask her to see pictures of her children. I'm not interested in spending any more time with her than what is absolutely necessary to get the keys in my hand and my contract printed. In fact, I notice that I'm not really even looking much at her. I am staring at her uncooperative computer as if that's going to make any difference. And I realize that that's kind of been that way for the last six hours. Everyone with whom I've had contact, I have spent very little time actually looking at. I have looked mostly at what we are going to exchange. The products, the services, the tickets, the baggage, the coffee cup, the security monitor, but not the actual person. I want from them results, not relationship. Now all that changes when I come rushing an hour and three quarters into the lobby and there I see my friend. My eyes are raised, my hand is extended, my arms enfold him in a hug, and casually we go to find a place to catch a drink. And for the rest of the night, we talk into the hours, and there is little notice of our watches. There is not much attention is being paid to the decor of the room. We don't even mind if the service is slow. I don't think to ask him at the end of the night what he can do for me. I don't expect at the end of the night that he's going to deliver some kind of product. I seek no result from him. I care only about the relationship. There are people in your life you want for a relationship, and there are people in your life you want for results. Some of you will leave here and perhaps make your way to brunch. And then the waiter will come and ask you your order, and maybe you will exchange a little polite back and forth and ask him a little bit about himself, you know, what, what, is he, what school does he go to, and, you know, what, how long has he been working at the restaurant. You kind of go this little banner back and forth, and, and it's all good. And then, but let's imagine that you get, he gets the order wrong. Let's imagine he forgets to get, bring your drinks. Let's imagine he screws up the bill. Let's imagine he drops a little coffee in your lap. Let's imagine he loses your credit card. It is perhaps at this point, as your blood pressure rises and you ask to see the manager, that the nature of your relationship is exposed, right? You need him for results. 
You don't necessarily want him for a relationship. Now, on the other hand, let's imagine you've invited some friends over for dinner, and they ask what they can bring, and you say, oh, just bring yourself. And they say, no, we insist. And they say, okay, you bring the appetizer. So they come with their homemade bean dip. And you sit down, and you put your cracker into the bean dip, and you put it in your mouth, and you quickly discover that this is the worst bean dip you have ever put in your mouth. It is all you can do to swallow the little dab that's on your cracker. Now, what you know is that this being together is not about the bean dip. It does not cross your mind to tell your guests that uh, the bean dip was rather inadequate this afternoon, this evening. You do not send them back home to come back with another appetizer because there is no desired result than to simply be with these people, right? In fact, you might even eat a few more crackers full of bean dip just to be polite. There are people in your life you desire for a relationship. There are people in your life you desire for results. I wonder if there isn't a little bit of this happening when Jesus comes to town. It's Palm Sunday and Jesus is coming to town. The humble king riding on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. Not a white charging stallion is he riding on. No, he's riding on a donkey. And, and the people are pretty happy. They're happy because they've heard about all the results that he's produced throughout the Judean and Galilean countryside. The healings and demon casting and walking on water. I mean, this guy has got the goods. Maybe he's even raised a man from the dead in somewhere near as close as Bethany. So they're in a very good mood, this crowd. They're willing to put, look past the jackass and see Jesus, see this miracle worker, see this, this magic performance former. Hosanna is the word they yell as Jesus walks by. Hosanna is the Hebrew for save us now. That's what they want Jesus to do when he enters into Jerusalem. Save us now. Hosanna. They are happy he's here because they want results. And so right away Jesus delivers. He cleans out the temple, chases out the money changers, and says, my house is a house of prayer, not of results. Conversation he has with the Pharisees. He tells us stories about the kingdom of God, parables about the rich and the poor, Passover feasting with his buddies. Oh, but the people say, you, you don't understand. We, we didn't order that. It's not what we expected. We were, we were looking for results. God knows what they were looking for, liberation from Rome, get rich quick, magic cure-all potions, the power of positive thinking, lose 20 pounds in a week. God knows what they were looking for, but it's kind of been that way from the very beginning with Jesus. It's actually been that way from the very beginning of the whole relationship, this confusion between God and God's children, this confusion as to whether it really is it even a relationship. Remember when Moses is leading the people through the wilderness of God and has already spared them, the angel of death, part of the Red Sea, left Egypt in their rearview mirror, given them manna and quail in the desert. And then when Moses goes up the mountain to receive from God the life-giving law, this law that is supposed to enhance their relationship, the Exodus writer tells us when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, come, you make gods for us. Because we were looking for results. It's 
tricky business, this relationship of results, this transactional engagement, this quid pro quo deity that we sometimes think about, makes for a very tenuous and fragile connection because, you know, life doesn't always turn out the way we want it to turn out. You say your prayers, you do the right thing, you play by the rules, you don't hurt anybody, and still, life doesn't always work out the way you wanted it to work out. The plate before you is not what you ordered. Your next-door neighbor then tells you that you just have to pray harder and you'll get what you want. Or your preacher on TV says that all you have to do is believe hard enough and gold will fall from heaven. But it doesn't always work out that way, does it? Maybe that's why Jesus is crying as he makes his way into the city. Luke says that Jesus wept over the city. Maybe because Jesus understands what they want. Maybe Jesus sees that what they want is results. Quick fixes. And it's not what Jesus has. What he has is himself. What he has is his life. What he has is his teaching, his love, his yearning to be in relationship. You do not recognize the time of your visitation from God, Jesus says, with tears in his eyes. It might force us back to the beginning when back in December we sat here with our candles and we sang Silent Night and Holy Night and we, we brought to, it brought tears to our eyes, right? Because this was the visitation. This was the message from the angels that God was coming, that he was going to be with us and that he was going to save us from our sin. And somehow back then that was enough, right? That was enough for God just to come and visit to be present, to love us, to be with us, and to save us. But even back then, it took the angels of Bethlehem shouting from the heavens to point the shepherds to that manger in the barn, and they said, look, 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 there he is, the visit of God, the Messiah of God, the presence of God, the mercy of God. Oh, shepherds, don't walk too fast. You might miss the child in swaddling cloths. It makes me think of the end of Thornton Wilder's great play, Our Town, a play about the life of a small fictional American town called Grover's Corners, New Hampshire, a story about the comings and goings of a simple people in a simple town when at first glance it seems like these people are just sort of quaint and mundane and pedestrian, but it's at the end when Emily Webb, a young woman who having grown up in the town, married her high school sweetheart, had her own child tragically dies as a young mother. But then she's given a chance to revisit a day in her own life in Grover's Corner, and she picks her 12th birthday, and she goes back to see how it all went out, how it all played out. And she sees the comings and the goings of her mother and her father and herself and her brother and her neighbors and her schoolmates. And at first she's so happy to see again their simple mundane passings. But then painfully she observes that even though they're passing by each other, they're never paying attention. No one's really noticing each other. No one's really looking at one another. It's all there, the beauty and wonder of life, but no one seems to notice. Says Emily to the stage manager, I can't go on. It goes by too fast. We don't have time to look at each other. 
I didn't realize all that was going on and we never noticed. So Jesus sweeps over the city and says, you're missing it. You're missing the visit. And later he will say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It's going too fast for them. They, they can't seem to notice. They just don't see. But then that's, of course, the good news that the one who arrives in Bethlehem and who walks the shores of Galilee and descends the Mount of Olives and rearranges the furniture in the temple and prays drops of blood in Gethsemane and mounts the cross of Calvary and walks free from the tomb is the one who will choose over and over and over again to be with us regardless of whether we pay attention. The one who will choose to forgive us over and over and over again even though we don't know what we're doing. In this is love, writes the apostle. Not that we love God, not that we paid much attention to God, not that we ever even noticed God, but that God sent his son. It makes me think of Sam. That's what I'll call him, I'll call him Sam. Sam was one of the saints in my previous, one of my previous churches, and his dear wife of many, many years, I'll call her name Mary, who had fallen victim to Alzheimer's. Little by little, Sam lost the love of his life to her forgetful world, until the point that she no longer knew who he was. Many of you understand this story. Well, Sam kept her at home for as long as he could, and she accompanied him on errands and attended meetings where he needed to be, and Sam would take her on nice rides through the countryside on Sunday afternoons. All this for someone who didn't know who he was. And the picture that will never leave my mind is a composite picture of the times when I would walk past the sanctuary, our sanctuary, and I would hear the organ playing. And more often than not, during that stretch of years, I knew it was Sam. Sam played the organ. And I would peek through the back door of the sanctuary, and there would Mary be sitting in the choir loft. And there Sam would be playing the organ for no one other than her, his audience of one. Even though she did not know and could not know the love behind the keys. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son riding on a donkey, tears in his eyes, all because we did not know, could not know, the love amidst the palms. Let's pray. We thank you, O oh Lord, that it didn't take us to love you, for you to love us. You loved us from the very start, and you will love us to the end. And we thank you that we have this day to remember again how you were willing to ride into that city, to love us despite whatever results we were looking for. So we pray, O oh Lord, that over this week we might open our hearts up a little bit more and desire from you a relationship and not results, to be with you and to allow you to be with us. 
so that we can discover once again how much you truly love us and what great, great, great joy it gives us to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. Who walks on the water? Who speaks to the sea? Who stands in the fire beside me? He roars like a lion. He bled as a lamb. He carries my healing in his hands. Jesus. 